head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 276 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan. It's a little bit of a different podcast this week. Uh, I'm joined here by Phil O'Connor. I'll have about it one second, but we're just going to talk about a few of the biggest issues in MMA and a few talking points. One, one especially I want to get into from the from the very top, but uh, after myself and Phil uh, finish here, I'll come in and talk a little bit about uh, the UFC card, which just happened last night uh, between Frank Edgar and uh, Pedro Munoz and uh, anything else as well that uh, maybe we've forgotten or maybe that uh, we look forward to next week. But Phil, anyway, how are you? How are things? Jesus, I'm not too bad, Sean. I'm actually after playing Gaelic football all day. We had a tournament here in Stockholm with just four teams, two from Stockholm, one from Alma, one from Gothenburg. And uh, I played myself in what was called the B team, and we actually won the tournament, you know. So, uh, but by Jesus, at 49 years of age now, I might have our stiff getting out of the car when I got home, you know. So it was great crack. Oh, you're going, you're going well, 49 years of age, just still be kicking the ball. I could be worse, though. It could be more taxing, it could be playing hurling, like, you know. Well, do you know what well, the thing is? I just come in and stand at the edge of the square. All your international uh, reader or listeners are now sort of spooling. You know, they're going forward, fast forward, fast forward. What's this? Mm. Listen, 276 episodes. I was only trying to think there while you were saying that mm-hmm. of when the first episode of Severe MMA I heard was because I know it was McGahan era. It was that was definitely it because I used to listen to two years all the time before I even knew he was there. You know, mm-hmm. but Jesus, fair play, Shawnee. This is a this is a, and you built an empire. You are now the pod god. Yeah, well, well, I, <laughs> yeah, some people call me that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself that now, but some people have been not to call me that. Yeah, like it's, it's been, and there's actually way more than two seventy six as well because we've done some point five yeah. episodes and things, and then we have, I think there's sev- over seven hundred now on Patreon. So if anyone wants to sign up, Patreon.com forward slash Severe Podcast. But yeah, it's the, been a the, long time. the best value MMA uh, Patreon bar none. It's just tremendous altogether. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well. <laughs> I can't lie, I put enough work into it and especially this week because i'm going away for a couple of days and i literally have every time i go away i just panic and say i'm not going to have anything up on fucking patreon so over prepare and there's always way more up which makes no sense but that's just me i'm just i'm just a workaholic phil that's my problem <laughs> this is how much you love your audience sean and you know you're always here for them you know rewatches and betting shows and let the record show and everything else like that as i say it's just it's tremendous value for money what is it a five a month that's it that's it yeah and actually there's a an annual patreon thing coming up as well so i think we're going to start that maybe in uh towards the end of the year maybe maybe october november as well so if people want to sign up they can sign up pay once and for the whole year which i kind of like but that's only coming in new as well like i do that with a couple of things i sign up for and i pay pay for for the year and for me it's way handier and uh that's great that they're bringing that in as well so uh, hopefully it'll be uh some people will enjoy that and want to do it rather than you know sometimes a five or a month coming out if if it's 60 quid once a year it's it doesn't seem as much it's the same thing like i do the same thing like i I subscribe to a certain amount of newspapers like you know the new york times and you just you pay it and then you forget about it and you get on with it but however there's a lot of people fast forwarding through this because they think you're only in it for the money you're not you're in it for the money tell me tell me ask me let's talk about things if i was in it for the money i wouldn't be fucking covering mma <laughs> so, the first thing i want to talk about right and it's a subject that 
has really fascinated me over the last couple of weeks. It's and people are probably thinking, oh, we're going to talk about John Jones, but it's actually Daniel Cormier I want to talk about again for a second. And I kind of I was talking about this the last two weeks on the podcast, but then Shell Sonning came out and did his thing this week where he was talking to Ariel and he said Daniel Cormier will be remembered for, by me and by my son for the man he is and the great guy he is. And I was thinking more about this because I I kind of said the same thing in as pertains to people like Jay or maybe people like Ariel or people who have worked with Daniel Cormier and I'm interested to ask you because we look at people all the time right and the, the, this phrase always comes up separating the man from the fighter or separating the, the woman from the, the soccer player or the, the, the sports person from the, the person and it's usually with bad people you know it's usually if someone you know went to like say Mike Tyson who went to jail and then was a fighter or you know who Conor McGregor did the various things he's done or whoever it might be exactly I the other way around, separating the good man, the great man. Like people talk about Daniel Cormier as like the nicest guy in the world, and I'm sure he is. Is do you ever see people like that, right? Where you've covered lots of different sports, and you see these like really nice people, but you have to cover them in a certain way, and you have to separate the nice person from the sports person. I think it's the hardest thing in the world to do in sports journalism is to take somebody who is nice and who is genuine and who is, you know, um, the kind of person that you, you actually personally, if you were if you were covering it as a fan, that you would want to do well, right? Mm. The best example I have for you at the moment is the captain of the Finnish team is a guy called Tim Sparv. Tim is six foot five tall. He's just the nicest man in the world, Sean. Mm. Couldn't do enough. Anytime I ever text him, he's on the phone a minute later. You know, what can I do for you? Can I give you a retweet for something you're doing or something like that? I work a lot with trying to get young people to read in Scandinavia because the languages are quite similar and he was playing football in Denmark he's from Finland but he speaks Swedish so he's helped me out on those things you know and the problem I had coming into this summer now Euro 2020 was cancelled but I would have to sit there and say okay if his team got fucking ploughed out of it by somebody in the Euros I'd have to call it as I see it you know and that's one of the things like I mean the big problem for Daniel Cormier really is that he is one of the nicest most professional guys in the sport he gets it he understands like before that title fight against Stipe Miocic I sent his PA a message and I said look at I said, I've been, you know, but probably the goods of 10 years trying to get Reuters to cover this sport properly. And it's really, really difficult to do because they're saying, well, you know, if these people won't give us access, you know, and the UFC themselves, as we've discussed on this show before, are absolutely terrible at it. And even let me down again, you know, this summer, they're supposed to provide footage and B-roll of weigh-ins and that kind of thing and clear it for social media use. And needless to say, they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, look, to, look, Dan, can you give me something? Can you, like, I need a bit of video or a bit of audio or something like that. Can you give me that so that I can really sort of push this the week of the fight you know and he did now he sent me voice messages instead of video but that was enough we were able to make a package out of that then and the package had like half a million views on social media and then the article that i wrote about it as well about him cementing his legacy no matter what happened it got huge uh, use in media around the world you know daniel gets it you know other people don't and he's just he really is one of the most genuine, smartest, sharpest people. And if he can do you a favor, he'll do it, right? If you look at a lot of fighters in the game, Sean, mm -hmm. most of them concentrate on their own training and their own fights, and that's it, right? Certain fighters don't, right? Mm -hmm. Ben Askren has always been at the Ask Wrestling Academy teaching people new things. Daniel's always teaching people wrestling. He's always teaching people grappling. He does his thing there. Like any coach, like if you go into any MMA gym, any jiu-jitsu gym in the world, there are always people there who teach for free. 
right? And Daniel's probably one of those people who just, oh, you know, oh, you need me to take that kid's class? Yeah, no bother, you know? That's the kind of thing that you hear about him all the time, right? You see Liam McCourt and Molly McCann and that tremendous relationship that they have, Leah working in the gym there um, with Owen Roddy and that. And I can't imagine she's getting paid for it, but she's getting coached by one of the best striking coaches in the world. And that's Cormier all over the place. And plus the fact that he's such a clever bloke mm-hmm. that he really fashioned this thing. Do you remember when he was a bit of a heel for a while when yeah. people used to boo him with press conferences and this kind of thing, you know? And I remember sitting there, I think I was at one press conference with him that P.T. Carroll was at, and P.T. was going, what the hell is the matter with these people? You know, why are they booing one of the, the nicest guys? Like, what can you not like about Daniel Cormier? Now, you can criticise his record. You can say, in title fights, you know, okay, he went unbeaten for so long, and in title fights, and, you know, he only ever got the belt because John Johns couldn't hold on to it or couldn't behave himself. But he really is, like, a really sort of a genuine, decent fella. That said... I wonder how he'd like to be remembered. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, all the things that have happened, missing weight in wrestling, uh, not being able to beat Jones. And I mean, there's all sorts of talk of failed dope tests here, there and everywhere. You know, none of that matters to Daniel Cormier, the competitor, the winner, the man who goes in there to do absolutely everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that bothers him that he's actually remembered more for the man he was and for the genuine, genuine sportsman that he was. And let's face it, he's probably going to come back anyway, you know. But would he prefer to be uh, remembered as, you know, the greatest heavyweight of all time as we're talking about Steve Miocic now? I'd say he probably would. Yeah, I think it's very hard. With everything you said there, I think it's very hard to analyse uh, how he'll be remembered. You know, I, I think it is very hard because people remember him for being that nice guy. And like, if we're talking about pure from his purely sporting side... I, I don't think that should uh, really come into it. I, like, I think he should be remembered from what he did, what he achieved in the sport. And the thing about Daniel Cormier is he achieved a lot more than I think he should have probably achieved in the sport. I think he was, uh, obviously, you know, he's an Olympian and he's a great athlete and stuff and all coming into it. But I think with John Jones and with Stephen Miocic in his two divisions at the time, he lost, uh, both lost, he lost the ball twice, but you know, one of the John Jones fights was obviously uh, was obviously a no contest afterwards. But I feel like Daniel Cormier, people call him one of the greatest of all time. You know, uh, up there with the gold conversation, if he wins the greatest heavyweight of all time, if he was to win at the weekend, I think that's absolutely fucking ludicrous altogether. And I think it's because he has made this um, persona for himself and because he has made this... Uh, and I really do think he's made it as well, like with people, with getting on the side of the right journalists and the right people in the sport, that he's mm. made people think of him as this nice guy rather than just think of him as a fighter. And it happens the other way around as well. But I, like for me, Daniel Cormier is one of the top maybe 25 greatest fighters of all time. People call him... I saw someone call him the, like the third greatest fighter of all time the other day, which to me oh, is... Is ludicrous, like, and is that like <laughs> that's kind of the crux of what I'm kind of getting at? Because it's, I think it's very hard to have an honest conversation about Carmia. Like when you wrote that piece, what 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 is it you kind of said that would be his legacy, win or lose, in in terms of fighting anyway? Idea. It, it was just that thing of like, you know, going through his whole career was sort of, you know, achievement, achievement, achievement. Right? He was at the absolute top. Of, and like I say, he probably wasn't the greatest collegiate wrestler in the world. In fact, I know he wasn't the greatest collegiate wrestler in the world. And he didn't have the sort of stellar record that certain other people who come into it, even in MMA have, you know. Uh, he wasn't the Khabib thing. He wasn't, you know, that sort of dominant thing. He had. He shipped his losses in both high school and in college, you know. So, But I think you need to kind of see it as three separate things, right? You need to see him as Daniel Cormier, the man and the father and the community guy, right? You need to see Daniel Cormier, the MMA, the professional MMA athlete outside the octagon, and you need to see Daniel Cormier, the professional MMA athlete 
inside the octagon, right? Because what he did in the octagon, like the idea that he's the greatest heavyweight of all time is nonsense. The idea that he, he should be even, the, how many heavyweight fights has he even had in yeah, the yeah. USA? You know, a handful. Yeah, and, five or six, but the three at the very top level. Yeah, and they, they, like it's, that's a nonsense idea. But I do think that people get carried away with the fact that he is so decent. Like it's really easy to get carried away with that idea that you know he is such a nice guy and he has done so much for the sport, right? So when you have an African American athlete from where he's from, and he's representing the sport so well, both uh, wrestling as an Olympian, but then later on in MMA, you can take him and you can put him on any TV show in the world, right? And you know if you do have a Connor. Connor's going to drop an F-bomb or he's going to say something or do something that's, you know, controversial, shall we say, just to be, you know, nice about it, right? Comey gets it. He goes into the room and he goes, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing the Today Show on NBC. Okay, I know how to behave myself. Okay, I'm on Barstool Sports. I know how to do that. I'm on MMA Fighting. I'm on the Severe MMA Podcast. You know, he knows what the audience is and how to talk to them, right? So when I asked him for a few voice messages or the video messages and he sent it back to me, I'd already explained to him who my audience was. I already explained to them that they, they may not know about his record or that. And he talked about the two things that he talked about was the sort of the legacy and what might happen next and the fact that he was, you know, that whatever happened, he was pretty much done. And the other thing was the body shots because I was trying to give it some sort of context for people who don't watch the sport, you know. They're thinking, oh, you know, it's just fellas brawling in a car park kind of thing. But no, no, there's a technique to this and that was the technique that's of took him down in the in the second steep fight and i need to know how he was going to deal with it and his thing was very very good he said look you're not going to avoid that the idea that you could but it was a very intelligent thing to say because the people who read what i write about mma are not really the people who listen to this podcast right yeah. these are people who if it passes them by and it looks interesting and the headline has conor mcgregor in it they'll read it right you know i've been forever trying to get you know other fighters in liam mccord is actually one that i've written about because bellator is so good about making her available james gallagher conor have written about you you know, but it is really sort of, you know, the, the real, real headline acts you're talking about, literally only title fights. I, I'm guaranteed to be able to write something about MMA for Reuters, for instance, when there's a title fight, but not otherwise. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, a card like that's on tonight, they wouldn't touch it with a barge ball yeah. because the sport is not, it's just not there yet in the mainstream media. Hopefully it will get there. But the great thing again, to just a circle back to Cormier, is he understands this and he is part of that promoting the sport. Connor kind of got it around the time the Notorious documentary was coming out. Uh, I went to Dublin, I interviewed him and he gave me plenty of time and he gave me a very good interview. But since since then, he doesn't really seem interested in talking to me. Now, you know, the news agency that I work for has a billion readers of their news every day. Okay, that's a sixth of the world's population. Somewhere between, you know, 16 to 20% of the world's population reads Reuters news every day. It's like, why do you not want that audience? Why do you not want that opportunity? I'll tell you who wanted that opportunity. Daniel Cormier wanted that opportunity. McGregor doesn't need it anymore, though. I think that's, that's the difference between McGregor and a lot more people. He kind of does what he wants. Is, you know? The funny thing is, Sean, if I was to walk into the LA Lakers basketball room and say, uh, or basketball locker room, and say Philip O'Connor from Reuters, I've got a couple of questions for you, LeBron James. Mm -hmm. LeBron James would stop and talk to me. Yeah, and but, that's the amazing thing about it because the American sport and like I can call up the like we all know that I'm a big fan of the Boston Celtics right mm -hmm. and on occasion there was a Swedish fella playing there and I would call up their press people and you know still to this day they give me seats I may not ever write a word about the game but they'll give me seats and they let me into the locker room and the people will all answer my questions because they understand the hierarchy of the Associated Press are huge in, in basketball and American football Reuters American football and basketball in that order so to speak mm -hmm. you know they get it you know MMA media is a little bit different because it, it really was Ariel starting off in his in his bedroom kind of thing you know it yeah. grew out of the blogs and the podcasts and people starting their own websites rather than being covered by the mainstream mm -hmm. so people in MMA don't really understand like Ali Abdelaziz still hasn't made you know oh, all the other yeah. 
Mm. You know, but they just they don't get it, and it, it's never. I've tried to explain it to them, but they're just not going to listen to me long enough. You know. Yeah. But Daniel Cormier is one of the few that got it. You know, and there's a few other people who sort of got it, and you know, they're few and far between. Bellator definitely get it because literally, I could bring anybody from Bellator in the middle of the night, and they go, yeah, yeah, I'll get them on the phone for you. Just give me five minutes. You know, they're brilliant at that because they understand. And that's actually from David Green. David Green is the man because he's worked in the business for so long and gets yeah. it. You know. But again, Daniel was one of those people who understood that he can increase his exposure by going on ESPN. You know, the persona he has on ESPN, you know, that is, he's actually a very funny guy. You know, if you spend any time with him whatsoever, he's a real, you know, joker. He's he having a lot of things. Nobody talks about, oh, what are ESPN going to do during lockdown? Because there's like Cormier and Helwani are owning the whole show, you know? So that's the thing. But again, if you want to put that in the context, in the strictly sporting context, and, you know, I don't want to be mean to the bloke, like, you know, but he really, now there's just, there's such a long way to go after only a handful of heavyweight fights in the UFC, for instance. It's not fair either to him or anybody else to have him in that discussion. Yeah. Right, we're back here. Uh, it's a little bit of audio difficulties there, but we're we're back with you, Phil, on Skype now, anyway, so it should be grand. Another thing I want to ask you, Phil, right? We're talking about, and we, we'll get into more John Jones and MMA and stuff in, in a second again, but I want to ask you about the media. And there was a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks, and there has been before, about uh, Robbie Fox, right? And with Barstool Sports and stuff. And I have to admit, right, I'm a big fan of Barstool Sports. I like what they do. Not, not everything they do and not everything they've said, but I like the, the kind of... The, the raw fan nature of it too. Look, I like listening to Ken Early talking about soccer and stuff as well. And I like, you know, I, I listen to a couple of, uh, of different podcasts and your podcast and stuff, which is pure journalism. But I really think there is a place for kind of the fan, the raw, the, the person who'll say, ah, oh, this guy's fucking shit, you know, in, in the middle of uh, a basketball game or, or whatever. I think like media are very kind of quick to dismiss that um, and I think it's like it's good content a lot of the time or even if you don't think personally it's good content I think it's content that lots of people like what, what's your take on that and kind of the, the new kind of uh, and this Barcelona kind of running that uh, uh, side of it but other people are doing it too what do you think of that sort of thing that's kind of crept into content and media do you like are you one of these guys who kind of bats it away totally or do you kind of say hmm this is kind of this this might be overtaking us a little bit here and we kind of have to understand it a little bit better. Well, this is the thing, Sean. Like, if you look at social media, when things exploded, when people could all of a sudden they could sort of confront journalists or talk to journalists on social media, and people like journalists didn't get Twitter. They're going, "Who is this person giving out to me and mm -hmm. and questioning my opinion about everything under the sun?" It's like, who the fuck are you to be writing this stuff, you know? And it caused an awful lot of people. They had to adjust what they were doing. They had to think more about what they were doing. But there's absolutely a place for the fan voice in it. And I'll tell you something for nothing. Like, if you look at the the Liverpool, now I know you don't, you know, you kind of hate watch them on occasion, right? The Anfield rap and the red men and this kind of thing right yeah. those guys do absolutely brilliant work and it really really appeals to fans and it puts things in a context for them that they love you know because everybody here who's watching it loves liverpool and they all want to see the team do well now they're not always going to do well hopefully from our oh, perspective God, please but, yes please <laughs> please let that happen but these guys i was talking to gareth actually one of the guys who runs the anfield rap there just before uh i was asking him how they were going to celebrate winning the league back before you know when it's covid and that kind of thing and he was telling me, I think there's 17 people working full-time for the YouTube channel, right? Mm -hmm. There's not even 17 people working fucking RTE after COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, media's hemorrhaging money. But these lads aren't because they know what their USP is. They know that they're Liverpool fans talking about Liverpool. You know that you're a fight. No, no, you're not. You're more of a journalist than a fan, right? But you started out as a fan. You became a journalist who's talking about fights and you do so in an excellent way in terms of your analysis and the guests that you bring on and that kind of thing, right? But there's definitely a space there for Barstool, you Know, it drives me mad that Dana White talks to them and he won't talk to me, right? But that's fine. That's what the, the UFC choose to do. I can't make him talk to me, you know? But 
there is absolutely a place for that. But we have to understand that the fan perspective is not always like it's a bit myopic. You're always going to see your team or your fighter or, you know, your you know, Formula One team, whatever it is that you like. Look, look at Manchester City fans and how they behave online or Liverpool fans or that kind of thing, you know. And it's the same thing. You have Connor stands and you have Jones stands and you have Steve stands and all that kind of thing. And they all do behave in a certain way. So what you're not getting is an objective look at what's going on, right? You're not getting, you know, a sort of a considered opinion. You're getting an opinion that is equally valid, but it has to be seen for what it is. This is somebody who's a fan and who loves this person and has, a, a, it, like, this person or this team, and they've invested something of themselves personally in it, right? Mm-hmm. Again, you look at the lads with the beards and the Connor suits going around the place, and that's that's great. I love to see it. It's amazing the impact that the man has had on people's lives, you know? But we have to expect that these guys aren't going to be, I mean, we all know with the Mac life that, you know, it would be very unlikely that they would be criticizing any fighter that Connor knows or Connor himself. Yeah. That's just how it is, you know. But th- you know, th- th- that doesn't make it any less valuable. The work that Oscar does there is absolutely brilliant. Now based out in Las Vegas and doing fantastic work, you know. Mm-hmm. So just as long as we understand where they're coming from and what their sort of bias is, but there's no problem with bias. As mm-hmm. long as I know, as long as somebody's not pretending to be independent and you know that they're they're doing that's that's fine. You know, just put your hand up and say, look at I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm making this I'm a Manchester United fan. You know, with the true balls thing, a lot of your love for Manchester United comes through, especially Mm -hmm. on when you're doing the live watches and that kind of thing. Uh, Very, very seldom. I couldn't even tell you who your favourite fighter is. That's how good you are at doing this, right? Because you'll have a go at absolutely anybody who needs having a go at, you know? But then when you talk about Manchester United, when you talk about football, when you talk about Limerick Hurland, it's different. So absolutely, it has an enormous value. And to be honest, like I say, as long as people understand where the opinions are coming from, what motivates them, anything that makes people happy, any discussion, any content, because there's three people in this conversation right now, Sean, there's you and there's me and there's the person with their headphones on or sitting in their car, right? And they are the most important person in this conversation because without them, you and I would be having this conversation on WhatsApp whilst we're watching the television, yeah. right? So so this is the thing, you know, that we have to absolutely respect both the fan as a listener and as a consumer of content, but also as a creator of content. And we can absolutely not get to a situation where I certainly don't think that I'm in any way above anybody else just because I work in a, after a particular journalistic set of rules, so to speak. What I do is just different to what they do, and I'm absolutely not going to criticise that. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like. I think it's funny because even like I skirt the lines, obviously, with doing the true balls and with doing this. Like I, I would have no problem coming on and saying Victor Lindelof is gutless and he's useless, and Man United need to sell him. And <laughs> I wouldn't. I'd never I'm say that. Tell him you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never say that about fucking you know, Peter Yan or Alexander Volkanovsky or whoever it might be. And by the way, people are probably roaring. They all know Wonderboy is my favorite fighter. But uh, the, the thing with us as well is a bit like, because we, we're talking about bias, right? And I I, I, I've, I was actually talking about it in the podcast, if I record it, it'll be out on Wednesday, I think, with Andy. It's an Irish MMA podcast, right? So we did a, a full Irish MMA podcast. You'd never hear me doing a full podcast about French MMA, you know? Or, well, maybe you would, but like not regularly. Or one about American MMA or yeah. even. Like, so there is that, not necessarily a bias, but there's a bias in the coverage towards Irish people. I remember uh, Dylan Took fought Adam Vintra once, and we came on and we talked about the fight, and we barely mil- mentioned Adam Vintra, and he got a bit uh, mad about it, and which is fair enough from his point of view. But from my point of view, and from the point of view of the listeners here, they're listening in to hear an Irish MMA podcast, and Dylan Took is an Irish MMA fighter, and Adam Vintra is not. But like, you know, it's it's one of those things as well that you have to look at what you're consuming and what you're doing like 
I think the problem a lot of people have with Robbie and with maybe Barstool is that they're put on the same place and given the same access or even better access to the UFC. And I don't think you can blame them for that at all. I think you blame the UFC for that. Like when Robbie's sitting on on press row, I don't think he's doing anything different to what you or me or John Morgan would be doing uh, on press row. When he's outside of press row or when he's interviewing Dana White, maybe he would be. But I I think if you understand what they are... you. You can't criticize them just for what they're doing because they're not doing anything like terribly wrong or anything. If they were calling themselves journalists and everything, which Robbie would never do, they would be. But he's making fun, funny content that gets you some information that other people wouldn't get. Okay, maybe he won't ask the additional question like why is this happening or, or you know yeah. whatever it might be. But I, you know, I think we need to we need to understand it a little bit better, not get as but mad. That, that's it. the thing, Sean. When we sit down, we watch Robbie or we watch anybody on Barstool Sports, we don't expect that of them. I don't expect him to sit, to grab Dana White by the neck and put him up against the wall and say, why are all your fighters fighting with you over money? You know, we just, we know that's not going to happen and they're going to keep going doing what they're doing, you know? And as I say, I don't expect Oscar to nail Connor to the wall about certain things because Oscar works for him. He owns the Mac life. That's not going to happen. We know that and we understand that, you know? But I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an insight, right, into... I remember sitting at cage side when Connor was fighting Nate for the second time, right? And I'd been there. We waited all night, the MGM Grand, after he lost, he lost the first fight. And Connor came out, and I was full of respect for Connor for coming out that night and facing the, the media and saying, Look, at, you know, I, I got it wrong. You know, and to talk about managing his energy and everything else like that. And that was the first time that Connor had lost in a long, long, long time. And that was very difficult for Connor. And I appreciated him as an athlete, as a vanquished fighter coming out there. That is the hardest thing in the world to do is to come out and stand up in front of the media and say, Look, at, you know, uh, this is how it Went, you know, he didn't exactly say he was a better man of the night, but remember exactly what he said. And then a couple of months later, six months later, or whatever, we were sitting in the T Mobile Arena. And I was sitting cage side as Bruce Buffer was going through the announcements. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, I hope Connor doesn't lose, right? And that was a private thing. That's how I felt about Connor McGregor, the man, because I saw how much the previous loss had hurt him personally, right? Mm-hmm. And I've I've had loads of athletes cry in front of me. I've had athletes burst into tears when I'm talking to them, you know. But I I just didn't want that for Connor McGregor, the man. Now that wasn't going to make the slightest bit of difference to what I wrote about that fight, right? There was yeah. just, just no chance that was going to happen. But I remember that feeling passing through me, going, "I really hope this bloke doesn't lose," right? Because it also meant so much like you say like Dylan Chuke did you mention there it meant so much to the Irish people and it meant so much to the people who are emotionally investing Connor around the world now the difference is that you know the Mac life or, or Barstool Sports might have gone down a different route yeah. and I had to write a straight up fight report and mm-hmm. I had to write what they call sidebars afterwards so it didn't affect that whatsoever I write what's put in front of me you know uh, and then one story I think I told you before privately you know that uh, when Ireland beat Italy and I thought to myself who's that shouting in the press box and it turned out to be me I was letting out a sort of strangled roar when, when uh, Robbie Brady scored that goal and that's the only time it's ever happened to me but I remember specifically thinking with Connor that second time out against Nate. And that's natural, Sean. You can't, I don't think that you can meet people and not have feelings for it. Now, it's different. If I was to give Connor an easy time just because I like him, that's not on, right? Yeah. I have to hold Connor to account. Mm-hmm. I have to hold him to the set of standards and the verification processes because anything else, and I'm not a journalist anymore, right? Uh, what yeah. I do is journalism. What Robbie does is something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was it? Um, oh, one of the lads at MMA fighting. Uh, Luke Thomas often says that he's not a journalist, that he's a presenter, an entertainer or whatever, right? And that's fine if that's how Luke sees himself. I'd say he's on the border between the two, yeah. you know? But, but that is really, really vital. And I don't 
for that very reason, I don't sit down with Connor in context like this. I wouldn't sit him, I wouldn't ask him to come on my own podcast and talk about his experience of working with the media, the UFC, because that's not the relationship that we have yeah. or that we should have, right? Mm. I need to be on the other side of that and saying, Connor, is your weight right? Has your camp been right? Did you fight right? Was your game plan right? What mistakes did you make? What could you do better? What you know, what did you do well? You know, mm -hmm. I have to keep that distance between us. Much and all as I do like to see the guy win for all the people who are fans of his and that kind of thing. But I have to be confident. Cold. I have to be stone cold mm. that. and that's nothing against Connor. I remember writing about him and saying that you had to forget the myth that he built around himself in the Irish Times after he lost to Khabib and I'm sure that upset him. I know for a fact that that upset people around him, you know, but that's me. That's not me saying that Connor's a bad man. That's not me saying that he's a bad father or anything else like that. That's me saying that Connor did not perform this night and here's from what I've learned about it, this is what I think about it, you know, but it's absolutely nothing to do with, and the personal should never really come into it. But again, you know, on the other side of the coin, if we go way back to where we started this conversation with Daniel Cormier, sometimes that does seep in, you know, yeah. I don't think, it would be very difficult for Ariel to sit down in the ESPN show and say bad things about him or about Chael or about a lot of other people that he knows simply because, uh, you know, he has those relationships that he has with them. And that's also fine. That happens as with a lot of people, you know, though, doesn't it? Like, even some of the best yeah. people in sport. And that's something I I have tried hugely to avoid. Like, even last week, I remember uh, I, I scored a fight for Carmi initially. I went back and watched it and I scored it for Steve. But I, th I still think it was relatively close. And I tweeted out and someone goes, uh, this makes me ask myself, how much money did you have on Carmi? to win and uh, I sent him uh, <laughs> I sent him a link where I'd made my picks and I picked Steve Miocic to win by decision and I didn't even think of that during the fight or when I was scoring the fight you know I, we, we yeah. have this picks league going and everything and it didn't matter I didn't even think of it like sometimes you think right these two guys are fighting let's say or, or let's say I don't know let's say Cody Garbrandt fights Sterling right and I really want to see Sterling versus Yan so maybe in the back of my head I'm thinking fuck I hope Sterling beats uh, uh, yeah. Garbrandt because I want to see this fight you know but when, once that fight starts as you said you kind of put on the I, I don't like the comments of a journalist but I like to put on like the journalistic hat or the fair hat or the judging hat or whatever you yeah. want it to be and do it that way and call it down the middle and I think yeah. like Reese McKee the last time when he was fighting, I was like, "Fuck, I kind, I you know, I hope he wins." He's the only Irish fighter in the UFC at that time. When Conor McGregor retired and when Joseph Duffy retired, like it'd be great if an Irish guy won. But then he came in and we, we saw the fight. And look, we've to call it two ways because he got you know destroyed. But he's also a good fighter, and we might see him and we mm. will see him do better again. So I think it's it's interesting like that. One one thing as well, maybe to, to transition a little bit, but in a similar sort of thing with how people take loss and things. I don't know if you saw Sean O'Malley this week after his his loss last week. I know it was a strange loss and all, but. And maybe we won't dwell on this too much but so like sometimes we you you mentioned conor mcgregor there and how he dealt with that loss to uh, uh to nate diaz and he dealt with the loss i think to habib relatively well at times as well but then it changed and the nate diaz one changed as well but i suppose that's all in uh, you know <laughs> fair and love and war or whatever you want to say but mm. sean o'malley immediately came out and said i'm going to be a champion in a few years he's going to be a journeyman and was like basically calling it lucky and he did everything perfect in the fight I mean, like me watching back that fight, I didn't personally think he did everything uh, perfect in the fight, and I, like I, I still don't think he, I don't think he's good enough at the moment, and he might be to say what he's saying like that, and I, I, like when I hear a fighter like that, I like I don't mind to see like being cocky or being confident or whatever you want to be is is the name of the game in in MMA. I don't think it's even that, that way in boxing as much in MMA. It's, and I, I remember asking kind of Brian Moore about this, you know, saying all the time you have to be a world champion. He goes, "Oh, like you know, <laughs> the answer he gave was like, oh, well, I believe it, so I might as well say it.' And that's the right way to do it. But I think after a loss like that, there's to say something like that and to sound the way Sean O'Malley sounded, it sounded. It sounded like he was trying to force himself to be cocky for the sake of being it and that he didn't actually believe it, which to me is worse 
then I, then worse than actually believing it, you know? Because if you actually yeah. believe it, fair enough. Well, well, like I'm sure you see that a lot. I, I, I assume you've seen it with Zlatan, maybe, you know, and a few other people as well. Oh, oh, you d- d- self doubt is not Zlatan's thing, you know. Yeah. It's like if if you lose, it's somebody else's fault. If you win, it's him. But O'Malley was interested because what you say, as you say, it's a very very common thing that happens in sport, right? Mm. Would you have to ask yourself who is he trying to convince? Yeah. Because he's not trying to convince me or you because he knows we're not going to believe it. So I think that's the process of getting over it, where he's trying to tell himself that look at. I am going to be champ. I am going to be champ. But it's one of those things that, you know, in the post Connor and the post Chael era, you know, they were the first guys to talk like this, you know, and Connor really backed it. Like, I mean, there was, I remember being in Vegas many years ago and somebody saying to me on the street that, like, the thing about Connor, you know, the way you're going around asking, why do people love Connor McGregor so much? And they yeah. said, yeah, he talks the talk, but he backs it up. He goes in there and he does it and he knocks out all in 13 seconds or whatever it happens to be, you know. And O'Malley was on the same trajectory for a while there. And another win, you know, another spectacular win would have kept him on that trajectory. But now he has to put the pieces together again so he sort of said oh that was just an aberration it was a great leg kick and that ended the fight like he couldn't really fight on after that you know it's kind of it is as you say embarrassing like I think this whole the fact that you know so many doping uh, dope tests and I know there were like you know bits and pieces here and there it's just like sit down son right you need to collect yourself you need to go back and do what it was that got you to this point all along you know and again like I said about Connor forgetting the myth that he built around himself you know they, they, they sometimes need this sort of reality check because MMA is a brutal business, right? If you look at Daniel Cormier, for a while there, Daniel Cormier was absolutely one of the top light heavyweights. He was absolutely, it was him and John Jones and then everybody else, Gustafsson was probably third, but mm-hmm. they, they, you know, it was him and Jones. That was it. They were the two best light heavyweights for probably a year, two years, maybe more, you know? Uh, but O'Malley has never been there. He hasn't done that. He's been pretty much an undercard or a prelim fighter or whatever, you know, they were using him to get sort of eyeballs on Fox back in the day, you know, and this, I think, was the first time that he was, was he a co-main event or something like that in the last, Mm -hmm. yeah, and and all of a sudden he's up there and then you lose, sit down, son, okay, Mm -hmm. take it, as I say, like what I really, the the reason that I felt for Conor after that fight against Diaz was because he was so respectful and he said, look, you know, we got it wrong because if you remember, he was fighting at 170 and he was talking about how much he was eating and that kind of thing, I remember thinking, oh, Jesus, you know, but at least they realized that they made those mistakes and, you know, Connor and humility, Connor and being humble are not things that you usually hear about. <laughs> yeah. But he was actually humble in that moment. Now, we had to wait a long time for him to come in. But it was, you know, as I say, it was just fantastic. And the other night, I remember, uh, after he beat Eddie Alvarez, he was very, very humble in the Bells of the MGM that night. Or, sorry, the Bells of Madison Square Garden the night after he beat Eddie Alvarez as well. Because he, he'd done it. There were more, no more mountains left to climb, you know. And you know, so at that point, I remember saying, just he left the press conference, right, lads, I'm gonna bounce, you know. And he was just at that stage, he was just so content. And I was sitting to his left hand, so to speak. So he kind of had to walk out past me with the two belts. And I've never seen a man look as content. And that's the last time I saw him look that content. Mm-hmm. But who is Sean O'Malley to be saying things like that? You know, mm-hmm. you haven't you haven't even shined the belt yet, son. You know, so take yeah. it easy. But I do. And again, I have a hard time though. Young, especially young fighters like him, like Sean, is not the most experienced. You know, mm-hmm. this is probably you know the early adversity that he has to suffer maybe to get to where he wants to go. You know. But again, I think like in fighting, especially if you look at boxing if you know and of course I'd be that little bit older than yourself like I just think that there's a lot to be said for humility there's a lot to be said from learning from your defeats and there's a lot to be said for respecting your opponent mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you have to think that he's better than you but you have to respect every opponent and I believe that in every sport it doesn't matter if you're Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or whoever you know that you have to go out the Limerick hurlers you have to go out and 
respect the opponent because any opponent at that level that you're put up against can theoretically beat you. So you got to go out there and you have to give them their due. You always, it doesn't matter, I've had some bitter defeats in Gaelic football. I've had some awful defeats in jiu-jitsu. I've had awful defeats in soccer and that kind of thing. But at the end of it, you still have to shake the other man or woman's hand and you have to give them their moment, like Connor walking off the stage or press conference that night with Eddie, you know, because... If, if you don't do that, who are you? What are you in this for yeah. if you can't manage to do that? And an- another thing you have to respect as well, which Connor definitely respected, was reality, I think. Like, you have to respect the reality of the situation. Like, when Gregor realised what happened quickly after that fight, and he changed it, and what he realised was correct, because the second time he went out and won. Like, O'Ma- to me, that was the main thing that stood out for me about O'Malley. Not what, it wasn't so much what he said, but it was what he was believing that he was saying yeah. like he didn't respect the reality of him getting hit with that kick and that was the reason he lost the fight and if yeah. you look at that and you don't acknowledge it, and maybe he will maybe it's all for just the podcast or whatever but if you don't look at that reality like if Daniel Cormier didn't look at the, the body shots in that last fight and and change his game for the third fight you know it would have been a quicker defeat than it was you know it would have been stopped inside so you have to that's how the best get there I know we, we talk about the best being a lot of like Muhammad Ali and McGregor whoever it might be getting to the best and being cocky and stuff and John Jones which we get to next now but John Jones and all of these guys are respectful of reality Jones goes in mm. with Jones refused to take fights in the past because he didn't have a proper game plan to fight that person that's respect and yeah. reality you won't fight Chael Sonnen because you weren't prepared to fight a wrestler even though he's much smaller and it's a probably an easy matchup for you but you won't do it because you respect the reality of what Chael Sonnen is if you're going in to fight at heavyweight as we talk about now you're going to respect that and you're going to put on those extra pounds and do what you think is best to, to have your mm. best uh have your best career at heavyweight and like did mm. Sean O'Malley sure didn't sound like he was respecting that sort of reality but uh, however what do you think of this whole John situation and him finally moving to heavyweight it looks like like the, the thing about this as well is before we get into Jones has said lots of things before and you know I know he's let go of the belt and there's other guys going to be fighting for the belt or whatever but uh, are you 100% convinced he's going to heavyweight first of all and then oh. what do you think of the move Look at it. when the cage door closes, I'll believe it, Sean. Yeah. I just, you know, it's hashtag MMA retirements. It's hashtag everything, you know, like these things happen in MMA. Why can't we have nice things? It's all these like it's just it's gone from him relinquishing the heavyweight belt and now, or sorry, the light heavyweight belt, and now all of a sudden he's going to be a heavyweight. So make up your mind, son, you know. And the one thing that's appalling about the UFC is this what they call megaphone diplomacy, right? So basically, him and Dana are having an argument over money in public, and Dana won't give him what he wants and you know everybody always has a number in mind when they want to sit down and negotiate right and the thing is to get as close you know somewhere between those two numbers so that everybody's happy and can go on with it you know now John John Jones is an independently wealthy man you know but of course he should want his due from the UFC and this is the problem this is why they have the Ali Act in the States you know that you shouldn't be the agent and the promoter at the same time you shouldn't own the fighters and promote their fights at the same time because obviously you're just going to pay them less you know look through Don King look through all these things you know like fighters been ripped off all the time but for John to go and do this like you know and the ones I feel sorry for actually in this situation are uh, Alexander Gustafsson and Daniel Cormier <laughs> because I reckon if Gustafsson knew that uh, Jones is going to just go right lads fight away for that belt there I'm not interested in light heavyweight anymore yeah. I reckon Gustafsson would have shed a few pounds and gone down yeah, yeah, and yeah. gone back to being one of the best light heavyweights instead of going up to, to heavyweight and then getting an armbarred uh, arm it's like an absolute disgrace an you know but 
<laughs> bar. But uh, yeah, but Jones going up to heavyweight. I mean, we all want to see it, right? Everybody wants to see him against Stipe. I don't think, like, I, I don't need to see him fight Daniel Cormier again. I don't think that does anything for Cormier. I don't think it does anything for Jones. You know, I just think, let that one go. But Miocic is definitely one of those guys. And we saw it in the, in the last fight against Cormier there. He has such a broad register. You know, maybe he doesn't have... The, the grappling. Maybe he doesn't have the skills in the deck maybe that Jones might have. I don't know. You know, but just a striking battle between those two would be absolutely amazing to see. Mm-hmm. And then Stipe is so incredibly tough. He's just, you know, he's one of those guys that say, are you still here? You can hit him with absolutely everything yeah. and he'll still stand in front of you. You know, he's like the fucking Terminator, you know. Mm-hmm. But Jones is one of those guys as well. I don't know what he wants. You know, I was thinking, does he want to be released? Does he want to go to Bellator? Does he want to go box? What does he want to do? You know, it's really hard to know because when a guy has that much money, it takes an awful lot to get him to go out of his house, you know, and just look at that in in boxing and, you know, how much money it costs to get anybody to do anything, you know? So I don't know if he's content with his career. And of course, we all know that behind the scenes, he's had his issues with alcohol. He's had his issues with the police and that kind of thing, you know? So it might be very, very hard for him to, to find something that motivates him. And who knows? Like a Miocic fight, I, I reckon that's probably one of the biggest fights in MMA right now am I mad in saying that oh yeah it's definitely up there like with, with Conor McGregor gone with Ronda Rousey gone with GSP gone yeah it's definitely up there like like Habib versus Gaethje is probably a big one but that's one very much one sided there with the heavyweight title on the line with John Jones going up yeah, it's hard to say. It's I, hard I to don't think there's one. an MMA fan in the world who wouldn't want to see Stipe fighting Jones now. Oh, I just don't think that, like, you know, if, if you don't like that fight, that's wrong with you, basically, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, that's the fight. And what it does then is that it opens up uh, the light heavyweight decision, a uh, division for the first time since when? 2011, was it? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, you, well, it's been opened up in sports in between with John Jones going away for but, but this is the thing, but it's like never, that, yeah. it, it's been his doing, but it's always him screwing up yeah. and having to, either, you know, like he's had, you know, positive tests or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. right? But if that opens it up and it gives the UFC then, you know, whoever's going to sort of jostle for a position of dominance there, you know, if it's going to be Latifi, if it's going to be Gustafsson, if it's going to be, you know, whoever happens to be in there, mm-hmm. that's going to make some some exciting for six months at least, right? As these fellas sort of get in line, somebody will get the interim belt or somebody will get some sort of title. Mm-hmm. But I'd say you'd see it change hands a couple of times reasonably quickly, you know, while, while fellas are trying to establish their dominance there again, unless, of course, Jones was to come back down, you know? So from that point of view, I'd say that the UFC would love to make it, but it's going to cost them. They're going to have to pay Jones to get in there with Stipe, as they rightly should. And they're going to have to pay Stipe for being in there. Because, you know, we want to talk about one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. You know, it's very, very hard to see past him. Well, you know, there, there are obviously other candidates out there. But Stipe's name has much more right to be in there than what Comier's does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think that fight is very interesting. Too. Like, Jones at heavyweight, I think, is, is so interesting because... That's steep if I see you. I, I was talking on a podcast. I know if it was last week's podcast. I have about 10 podcasts recorded. It probably isn't even out yet. But I was talking about Stipe and saying how people underestimate Stipe because he isn't... He doesn't have Habib's takedowns, right? He doesn't have McGregor's left hand. He doesn't have Edson Barboza's kicks or whatever it might be. But he's a very good wrestler, right? He's a very good striker. He has very good power. He's very good on the ground. We see what he did with uh, with Daniel Cormier when it gets there, or with uh, sorry Francis Ngannou when it gets there. He is. Uh, I think his cardio is the most underrated part of his whole game. He can keep going Incredible. five rounds with everyone, and that's a tough. And do you know what that is? That's very fucking unusual at heavyweight. <laughs> very unusual. But do you know who else will have that's that at heavyweight? 
John Jones. Well, you usually see, like, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you usually see heavyweights. Like, you know, a five-round heavyweight fight is usually the last two rounds are just, oh, for the love of God, you know? They're just loafing around the place. But he's really, I mean, firemen typically are really, really fit. Jones has, I mean, there's not a pick of fat on Jones at the best of times, even when he's not fighting, you know? So if you see Jones go in there, he probably wouldn't go in there more than about 225, you know? Yeah. And th- that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see real athletes in there, right? Not sort of, you know... NFL linemen going in there, you know, no offense to Derek Lewis and that kind of thing, but you know, these fellas stand there swinging, um, what was his name? Oh, the fellas gone to Bellator now, Roy, or Roy big Nelson, country. Yeah. yeah, you know, like that kind of, and you know, no offense to him as well, because you know, that's where his power comes from. But can you imagine those two going in there? And as well as that, steep as boxing, and in particular his footwork, which is which is coming from his his box, it's absolutely brilliant, you know. Just how quickly he's able to get in and out and how quickly he's able to change an angle and flatten it down. It's just really, really good. And I reckon that, you know, Jones and leg kicks is always a, a difficult thing. And if you're a boxer who stands heavy on the front leg, you know, which Steeper can be a little bit when he's trying to go forward, you know, th- that's going to be there. But that would just be amazing to see those two go at it, you know. And especially to see John Jones, like you say, he wants to have a game plan for fighting all these guys. But I'd love to see what the game plan might be and how it might change. And if it's going to be leg kicks or if it's going to be standing box or whatever you know I mean that'd be a fascinating fight in every level but I just I really don't know if the UFC you know I mean sometimes they just don't make fights because like I mean Connor's not going to fight for the rest of the year because I don't think you know when Connor fights the gates are massive right mm-hmm. so you're talking 20 million dollars 70 million dollars that kind of thing right and the UFC would say okay we can't have Connor fight in front of nobody because we're not turning down 20 million dollars especially when Connor takes so much money off us to do these things mm-hmm. you know the gate like it was huge last time in, in January when he fought you know but those two could probably do it you know I mean they could probably sort of find a pay-per-view that's a pay-per-view you stick fucking Sean O'Malley back on there mm-hmm. and a couple of other heads and that's a card that people would definitely definitely buy. You know, it's three or four decent fights think, uh, on the main card. I think Dana was smart enough too, though, to say uh, Francis Ngannou is next. So I said John Jones would be happy enough to take his time, put on that extra weight and get the heavyweight. Let Francis and Stipe fight and in-fight the winner. Maybe there'll be bits of crowds, but I see over in America now, AEW, the wrestling is bringing back crowds in the next couple of weeks as well. Not full crowds, but, you know, socially distanced and stuff. And I'm sure the UFC, yeah, they could get, you know, three or 4,000 people into a, a 30,000 arena or wherever it might be and and charge them big, big prices and get the gate up and have fights. I'm, they'll find ways around it, you know. So I think yeah. it's very interesting. And even Jones, like Jones would be the sort of guy as well, I think, who would take on someone like a Derek Lewis at heavyweight and not go straight into a title fight. Now, that mightn't be the wisest from a promotional standpoint in the world or from a, a money standpoint or whatever. But Jones has always been a safe fighter. And this is the thing as well. We were talking on the podcast last week about Jones being safe and everything he's done. And, uh, you know, he's... Uh, I mean, maybe I was a little bit harsh on him saying he's just kind of picking off middleweights and like everything, so which he has for a while. But he's always taken... He's always taken the smart option to make it easier on himself. So not necessarily the easy option. And going to heavyweight, whatever you want to say about John Jones, if it does happen, is not the easy option. So he's going to play it smart. And I'm very interested to see what way it goes. And this is exciting. You know, we haven't had much excitement in the UFC in the last while. There's been, you know, there hasn't been anything really brilliant uh, in, in the last while. We, I know we have, uh, I was listening to the Hurricane earlier on, the brilliant Bob Dylan song, and thinking of uh, Bohachina fighting Israel Adesanya, the number one contender for the middleweight crown. That's going to be fun oh, in a yeah. few weeks as well so there's there's a few fun things coming up here in, in a while but uh that that, that to me with john jones got the heavyweight is probably the, the the most fun of them all um come here to me before we uh before we finish up here and before i show it over to myself i sent you on that video i don't know if you're watching the fights last night and bellator as well you know mentioned ryan nelson there he lost uh last night to uh valentin Moldova- Mold- Mold- 
Davowski, I can't say it. He was good anyway. He looked good at heavyweight, but Ryan Nelson just looked old and fat and terrible. Um, Julia Bott had a good win, although boring enough, against Jesse Mila. Uh, John Salter beat Andrew Capel. Yaroslav Amosov went to like fucking 26 and 0 or something like that. And he looks good as well. And Josh Hill got a good win over Eric Perez as well with a unanimous decision there. But in the main event, uh, Vanim Nimkov beat Ryan Bader in a fight which was I was relatively close in the first round Bourne and good power shots and things like that but it looked like Nimkov was just slightly better Bader tried I thought Bader was smart the way he fought but it was still no good because I think Nimkov is just a superior fighter to him and proved that last night even though maybe myself and maybe a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't think that but then in the second round Nimkov hit him that big head kick to the sl- side slash back of the head which was perfectly fair when someone's moving like that if you kick him, kick him and it hits him in the back of the head uh, it, uh, it's perfectly fair Bader went down uh, looked like he was knocked uh, you know he was knocked down hard the referee gave him a chance to to keep going he didn't stop it uh, Bader took 10 or 12 big shots didn't start to getting up took 10 or 12 more big shots and started moving to the right then took maybe 10 or 12 more big shots st- completely stopped defending himself and the referee stopped it before I give my opinion on the stoppage and everything like that we we, we mean I might leave the fight for another time whatever. but the stoppage itself I know I sent you the video there you saw it what did you think of it personally there was a lot there was, like, there was a lot of shit talked about this stuff Everyone said this is the worst stoppage of all time. What do, what do you think? Do you know what? I was trying to find out. what I always try to be co- cool when I'm watching those things, right? Mm-hmm. Because when everybody explodes, you go, okay, the referee obviously had a reason for not stopping the fight, yeah. right? And Ryan Bader did very, very little to intelligently defend himself, but he did just enough to mm-hmm. stop the referee from putting him out of his misery, you know? Yeah. So there was a couple of times there. Uh, there was one time when he, he sort of turtled up slightly. saw his hips moving back. He was getting his hands to cover his head. Now, the shots were still landing and bouncing through his arms and through it. Like, he was still getting hit. He was still taking damage there, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, you know... This is why the definition of intelligent defense is so difficult. But if you're moving, if you're trying to change your position, if you're trying to break the angle that somebody's landing shots on, if you're on your knees and you're covering your head and you're trying to sort of, you know, turn back in, you know, if you're trying to pull guard, if you're trying to do whatever, you know. And I was looking at Bader going, yeah, I can see these movements he's doing and I can see why the referee would say, yeah, he's still in this. He's not going. Now, as he went down from the head kick, he was probably out as he went down, but he recovered after two or three seconds before the ground and pound had sort of put him out completely, right? And then he just extended his own misery by continuing to defend himself, right? We've all seen fighters in that situation who've just given up, right? And they just, they've covered up and that kind of thing, and that was the end of it, you know? Um, Reese McKee, I think, found himself in that, his UFC debut there. He just found himself in a position where, look, this is not happening, lads. I'm not saying that Reese gave, gave up now, but I'm saying that he found himself in a position the where there was just nothing more that he could do. Like, yeah, they, they Pardon make, me? The, the opponent makes you give up, like, by Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, I mean, yeah. they break it. That's yeah. what happens, like, you know? I remember once being in a jiu-jitsu uh, match and I was so tired, right? I, I'd gone for like a load of takedowns and every time I went for the takedown, the referee would reset because I'd take the guy down too, too close to the edge of the mat, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I was fighting 93 kilos. You know, when you're fighting another guy's 93 kilos, oh, Jesus, you know, it takes the energy out of you. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that fight then, your man choked me and I was just, I just had no energy left, John. And literally, you know, I'll admit it now for everybody who's listening, I gave up in that fight because I just had nothing left in the tank, right? Mm-hmm. But in that situation, Bader was still trying to survive the whole time, still trying to find a way out. And I have to respect him for that, you know, because, I mean, most people would have given up. But you do think that, like, you know, 
it might have been better off if the referee was able to say, look, there's no coming back from this. At no point did you ever think that Bader was defending himself and he's going to turn this around, right? This wasn't Peter Queeley back in Bellator in, in Dublin there a couple of years ago or a couple of months ago, whatever it was. You know, th this was just a situation which wasn't going to get any better. You know, he was going to get uh, knocked out or TKO'd in the end of it. You know? And for, for that purpose, you know, I don't know. I always, like, it's one of those, what would Jesus do things? Uh, I, I always think, what would Mark Goddard do? I think Mark Goddard would have said, you know, you weren't coming back from that zone. So I just, I had to protect you. Because again, we have to remember that the, the, response the, the responsibility of the referee in all sports is to protect the athletes, mm -hmm. even from themselves if needs be, you know? Yeah. And I think that Mark probably would have waved him off. I can't even remember the name of the referee who was involved in that fight. Kerry I think I would... it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. To me, I, mean, I, just... I thought it was the perfect stoppage, to be honest. And I, I, the, the reason I think it was a perfect stoppage is when someone gets knocked down like that and they're not knocked out cold you know it's not you know it's in barbosa terry at him you know and he's not all you know dead on the ground ben, uh, ben Askren, exactly Harry. exactly i think you give him an opportunity and you let it play out for a couple of shots uh and i don't like people say oh it's a title fight and i'll let it play out more and i referees have talked about that before in the past and whatever your opinion is on that i i think it's the same for every fight anyway in my opinion and maybe I'm, it's easy for fucking me to say sitting here in front of my desk, you know, with, with the, the, the windows closed and the, the light on and the, and the nice warm house here. Um, but I feel like fighters would agree with me. You know, fighters wouldn't want, they would rather take one extra shot. And it's not extra shot as when you're totally gone out. Give him an opportunity. Kerry Hatley gave him the opportunity. And do you know what Bader did? He took that opportunity because he moved and he started trying to get back up. And look, he ate five, six, seven, ten more shots trying to do that. But he got up again and he was trying to intelligently defend himself and he was trying to survive. And I think the second that he was no longer able to intelligently defend himself and he fell to his knees after that, Kerry Hatley stopped yep. the fight. I thought that was good. Like, the problem with that stoppage is, and it was the same with the one with Anthony Smith and Jason Herzog not too long ago, that it gets, you get one point in the fight, right, when he was knocked down. And, like, if he had stopped it right there, there might have been, like, I'd probably say, oh, I should have, like, given him an, an extra second to see if he'd recover. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been that controversial. I think most people probably said, fuck, he was knocked down, that was it. And the same thing happened yeah. with the Anthony Smith uh, fight in that one. But then when you let it go that little bit, everything after that, even though it's correct to let it go and give him that chance, everything after the, that l makes it look like it's too long. And with yeah. this one wasn't as bad as that one because the Anthony Smith one, he went down for fucking two rounds and it was just two rounds of a beating. But there was never a mm. point where he wasn't intelligently defending himself in that two rounds but it made Jason Herzog look awful bad. But what's he supposed to do, like, in that situation? Just mm. say, fuck this, the, you're, like, the, the fight stop. You have to have a, a correct time to stop it, I think. And I think with the Kerry Hatley one last night, he found that correct time to stop it. And look, maybe he took 40 on answer shots. But, lads, we have to remember, this is not fucking tiddlywinks. This is MMA. This is mixed martial mm. arts. This is professional cage fighting is what this is. And... <laughs> this is going to happen in this fight like we, we talk about issues in the sport and way, ways to get around them and stuff this is a, an issue that you'll never get around people taking mm. being dominated and being beaten up is an issue you can never get around uh, in this sport and I like I personally think Ryan Bader won't be too unhappy with that fight last night and how it in, uh, how it was stopped I think he'll be obviously very unhappy with how it ended but he won't be unhappy with how it stopped and did he take like he, t he obviously took more damage but like there, you you said there, he wasn't going to be what happened to Peter Queeley or Carl Pinger or not. But how do we know that? That's the issue with refereeing. Is like, how yeah. do we know it's not going to be one of them? The, what's written in the rules is if you're not intelligently defending yourself, if you're not fighting back. That's when you stop it. 
He was given a chance mm. to intelligently defend himself, and he intelligently defended himself. So I he did, yeah. yeah. There, there was no offense there, but I remember the night, uh, the same night as Connor fought Eddie Alvarez. Khabib fought Michael Johnson, I think it was, at lightweight in Madison Square Garden, didn't he? Yeah. And I was like, Khabib kept taking him down about 10 feet from where I was sitting. I was in the front row, press row, literally about 10 feet away, and I could hear Khabib talking to him, going, tell him to give up, you know? And it was. Like that was one of the the hardest fights I've ever had to watch, really, because it was just it was such a dominant thing. And you know, Michael's such a like you know he's a good fighter. Like this is a guy who knows what he's doing here, and yet he was just getting pounded on. You know, and I mean, you could have said in that case that the same thing that okay, he's not going to come back, he's not going to win this fight. So you probably could have stopped it in whatever round you wanted at that point, right? But no, no, it went on and it kept going and that kind of thing. And it absolutely, it shouldn't have been stopped. You know, Michael Johnson continued to intelligently intelligently defend himself for most of the fight. Like you know, and the, and the same thing with Bader last night. He just did just enough to keep himself in it. Now, he never managed to convert that into recovery. He never managed to convert that into offense. But you can't you can't take that away from him then. You know, if he's doing that, as like I say, and you said the same thing there, changing the angle, moving, covering up, getting two hands on one side, protecting the head, whatever, you know, that's intelligent defense, you know. And that's often the time that you need, especially when you're a professional fighter. This is not your first rodeo. This is not the first time Ryan Bader has been in a situation like that, you know. So he knows what he's doing, you know. So there's no point. I mean, it's like, you know, if you take somebody down and you're going for the rear naked choke and it's under the chin, you don't you don't stop the fight there. You wait for the tap. Exactly. It's the same thing with heel hooks when Dylan Dallas just hits the deck, you know. You've got to wait for the tap. You can't just say, okay, this is over, it's you know. Over, yeah. As long as somebody's trying to defend that choke. And we've seen so many, you know, uh, fighters who, who actually go to sleep in, in the octagon then you, you gotta let them do it you know okay you might think that they should tap they don't then you go in and you sort it out for them if they get if they uh, go unconscious you know so i mean it's it's really hard to say and it's always hard as well then you know i'm going to i guarantee you somebody's going to tweet that to me soon enough and it'll be one of the older irish journalists that goes oh is this a sport is it you know yeah. that kind of thing you know and it's going to get tweeted out he's going yeah it is right because mm -hmm. most fights don't end like this most fights end very very quickly and very very cleanly and there's very little extra damage done now bader took a little bit of extra damage he could have knocked it on the head at any point and he didn't and he tried didn't come off but I'd say like I say I often wonder I actually haven't checked it out Sean but do you know what the reaction of other fighters was to that stoppage yeah like I haven't seen anything back but I think most fighters usually in that situation they're like yeah he, sh he was right to let it go on you know I didn't I only because uh, it's Bellator and nobody's fucking watching so there was like five journalists <laughs> online and all the journalists I saw were we're saying that we're saying like oh terrible stoppage on and I like I I actually fell asleep just as the fight was starting so I rewound the back and uh, and watched it and I had this, I it was in a weird situation because I had known who who won um because yeah. I woke up literally as it was being as it was stopped like and so I didn't see the head kick or anything I literally woke up as goalie was going and it's all over <laughs> he woke me up like I went back and watched it I was nah, like bollocks. people were, I saw a few tweets and like bad stoppage I was like no and I went back and watched it again and I I, I asked a few people connected to MMA about it and what they thought of it and every one of them said no that was there was nothing wrong with that stoppage so I think the the reaction yeah. sometimes on and sometimes as well online we see and uh, you know we won't get into this fully, but we see someone saying something, and then everyone else just parrots it. And, like that's the opinion; everyone believes that now. Which, yeah. And it's not it always. It becomes true. the truth. It becomes yeah. the narrative. And true. like you know, if you're somebody with you know a million Twitter followers and that, but that's why I say I always in situations like this, when it comes to stoppages in particular, I only ever listen to fighters or referees because they're the ones who know they know the fighter's mindset in that situation they could look at that and go yeah if that was me i wanted to be protected mm -hmm. or the referee would go if I, if that was me i'd want to protect that athlete you know but if they say 
that looked pretty okay to me. Who am I to say who's never been in an octagon doing that kind of thing? Who am I to say they're wrong? You know, mm -hmm. it's just that's that's quite a difficult one. And many times, like you know, the athletes will come out and say, "Yeah, well, it could have been stopped, you know, a little bit earlier or whatever, you know." But I have no problem with that, you know. And th that to me is a perfect answer. That's okay. It could have been stopped, but it wasn't. But they're okay. Mm -hmm. Or you know, well, it should have been stopped a little bit earlier. That's also a fine answer. But I don't think you know, I don't think it's my place to go and say that you know, especially not to Ryan Bader because literally every fighter you ever meet in a mix zone afterwards will tell you, "Oh no, I thought the referee." Should have given me another few minutes mm -hmm. you know? because nobody wants that L on the record, just nobody ever wants them, you know. Mm -hmm. 100%. Right, Phil, last thing we'll do here, let me just call out the uh, the main card for next week and tell me if there's any particular fight or any particular person you're looking forward to. It's actually not a bad card. Uh, we actually have uh, on, on the undercard as well, Alex Caceres versus Giga uh, Kikadze. I like that fight. Uh, Saparek Safarov is on the undercard as well. Emily Whitmire, Hannah Seifers is on the card. Miki Maki Patolo, who we saw a couple of weeks ago, but the main card. Ricardo Lamas and Ryan Hall is actually off because Jiu-Jitsu doesn't work and Ryan Hall didn't make the fight. <laughs> uh, Agamed Ankalaev is fighting Ian Kutalaba in that light heavyweight fight that was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. Alexa Grasov versus uh, Ji Young Kim at women's flyweight. Robbie Lawler is fighting Neil Magny at welterweight. And Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic in the main event. I love that Robbie Lawler-Neil Magny fight and the main event is good as well. Anything there stick out to you on that one? Just saying two fights like Robbie Lawler. Ever since he fought against Roy McDonald, I just yeah. I will not miss anything that he does. You know, so, the, like, do you remember when he lost uh, uh, Ashkan with that bulldog choke? Like yeah. that was a bullshit stoppage right there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's terrible. But uh, but yeah, and I'm just interested to see Anthony Smith because Anthony Smith is one of those guys who's extremely intelligent, mm -hmm. and he just the last time I was against wasn't against Tejeda when he lost that yeah, fight. And it there. wasn't that long ago and, either. He took that hellacious beating. Like. Yeah, and I just like I'm just fascinated to see because when he beat Gustafsson. And effectively retired him in Stockholm. That I, like for some reason he sort of shot up in my estimation. You know, to go into the Lions Den and to do that to somebody like Gustafsson with a whole home crowd behind him, and he just silenced them all. He just sent them all home. And then he came in, and Gustafsson retired, and Smith was there. And I, like you know, and we talked to him pretty much all week because the Stockholm show was really good in terms of access and talking to fighters, and they were in the hotel beside him, that kind of thing. You know, and to, to, I just wonder, you know, when you've been in that situation where you've had your teeth loosened and been fairly fucking beaten up, you know, I want to see how he comes back because I kind of I didn't have him down as a potential champion. But in the way things are at the moment with, you know, a vacated uh, belt and that kind of thing, I think that he could be maybe not the man to win it, but he'll certainly have a hand in deciding who does. I I, mm, I don't think so. No. I, I, like, I think he's good, but I don't think he's that good, to be honest. I think Rakic could be but up do you there. Not think, do you not think he's going to be a gatekeeper for fellas who are going to want uh, that belt? Well, yeah, maybe. I, like, I actually think Anthony Smith is one of the guys who's intelligent enough to walk away and take one more than beatings. Like, mm, no. Nah. And he, like, he seems to be good on although I, mean, I don't know maybe actually the way he reacted to that loss as well maybe not but would you know yeah. he's so nice that if he goes up to heavyweight he'll be counted as among the greatest in the world after three <laughs> fights <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> feel a good way to end it thank you very much tell the people before we go and before i actually throw it over to myself here because i'll talk about a little about this what's your prediction for the frank yeager fight actually i think i, I fancy frank yeager to win even though everyone will give out about me but in a word yeah, no, we, we, we go with frankie frankie is a huge but very very popular fighter in ireland so we go this is an irish mma podcast so we'll have to go with uh, our adopted irish friend yeah. Frankie Edgar I, for this I'll, one. I'll tell you the result in about two minutes on this podcast. Tell tell us about your your project coming up. Uh, you want to go out to America for fifty days. Tell the people where they can support that because I think that's a great cause. I, I watched your video up, up on YouTube the other day. It looks really really good. I'm excited. Tell the people about it before we go. 
Yes, so the idea basically is um, last time out we were surprised by the results of the American presidential election in 2016 I was actually in the same hotel as Donald Trump as he won in New York at the Hilton Hotel in Midtown Manhattan uh, and it was just, everybody was amazed. I was going, how can we be amazed, right? So if journalists do their job or if the media does their job, we should never be surprised by the outcome of an election. So my plan this time is called Outside It's America. 50 podcasts 50 days from all 50 states and we're going to finish up in New York City probably in the same place with Donald Trump upstairs and uh, it's a live on Kickstarter now so if you go to kickstarter.com forward slash philip o'connor you'll find it it's going to cost me about uh, the whole thing for in order for me to make a little bit of money and pay all the insurance and everything else like that it's going to cost about fifty thousand euros so i need to get in as much money as possible so if anybody has a spare tenor this is a once-off deal it's not like the patreon that you've already signed up with sean sheen where you give him a five a month just give me a tenor whatever you can let me go over there and do that because i guarantee you i'm going to go to every fucking state i'm going to talk to everybody I'm going to go to gyms and diners and gas stations and street corners and the whole lot and just talk to people out there and i really do think that you know if you listen to it rather than chasing the candidates i want to hear what the voters think because they're the ones that decide mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to your fucking lefty agenda showing up again <laughs> oh, oh, oh hold on a second we go back to that conor mcgregor thing I, I i honestly don't care who wins yeah, i really joking. just want to present these voices like it's okay. not about my story it's about theirs i believe you yeah i believe you yeah we'll see we'll see <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much uh, for joining me Phil thanks everyone for listening and here is Sean Sheen to tell you who won the fights last night hello there Sean back here uh, after the fights at about 10 past 4 on Sunday morning and uh, Frank Yeager won the fight very close fight uh, I thought it was personally it was funny because I was watching the fight live obviously and then in the uh, in the fifth round, Dominic Cruz comes out with the the ring generalship comment. So what did I do? Of course, I I've lost. I was like, what the fuck? What is he doing? What's he talking about? And uh, you know, just went mad as I usually do. Uh, so I went back and I watched the fifth round again. So like my score for the fight was forty eight forty seven Munoz. I thought he won the first. I thought Frankie won the second. I thought Munoz won the third. I thought Frankie won the fourth. Or sorry, I thought Munoz won the fourth, and I thought Frankie won. The uh, fifth, um, I think the first was relatively close. I don't think the second was close. I think Frankie won. I don't think the third was close. I think Munoz won it. I think the fourth was close as well, and I think Frankie won the fifth. So in that in that sort of fight, when with what two or three close rounds there, you can't really complain too much about the judges. I think uh, you know a split decision. I think it was fair enough. Um, the one thing I would say though, for me personally, I was watching the fight and I picked Edgar by decision uh, in in the fantasy, so it's not a case of uh, of a, a bias against Edgar in terms of uh, uh, who who I think should have won or who I wanted to win. If you know that way, I didn't want anyone to win because uh, uh, I I never think that way. I, I want whoever got the <laughs> landed the more immediately backfield strikes and grappling to win. Um, but when the decision was read, I was like. Split decision, really? I was a little bit surprised with split decision. And when the, the, they gave Edgar as the winner, I was a little bit surprised as well. But it was one of those fights where you have to go back and look at your card. And I, like, I take notes after every round in these fights. Um, and looking back at the notes after, just before I started recording here, I was like, yeah, it 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 makes sense on paper. And the 10-point muscles. And it's funny one, the 10-point muscles, because, you know, we talked a lot in the last while about... Uh, <laughs> about fights being won as a full fight as composed uh, as opposed to uh via five individual rounds or five individual fights uh if you want to put it that way as it should be scored and this was one of those ones where <laughs> if you were to look at it over the whole lot in uh, in one way you probably think edgar won because he landed more shots probably and uh he he ran most of the fight i think 
whereas Munoz probably landed the bigger shots f- throughout most of the fight. But I think in Edgar's rounds that he did dominate, he kind or that he did win, he kind of stopped Munoz from landing lots of those big sh- shots. And one thing as well, when I was doing a podcast with uh, Ben Cartledge a couple of weeks ago, and um, talking about immediately impactful shots, and maybe even not that one, maybe the one before it, sometimes you know, when we're looking for e- immediately impactful shots that win the round, in a round where let's say you're outlanded 30 shots to 15 right that doesn't mean you're gonna win the round if you landed a 30 but it means the person who landed the 15 shots is going to have to land a couple of really big shots in there to to take it from the other guy you know as long as the other guy's shots were not just like you know jabs to the fucking knee and something like that you know what i mean so i think there was a couple of rounds in there like that that munoz was kind of close to landing enough uh immediately impactful shots to win the round and that was the, the, the rounds i called out there whichever ones they were um that that was around like the second round i think it was uh wh- which i gave it to frankie was kind of one of them and the first round was as well uh and uh yeah so like you know close fight overall to me uh that's what the scoring kind of set there and overall as the fight itself i thought uh i thought frankie looked good entering the fight i thought he looked like a good weight uh i thought he looked i didn't think he looked slow i didn't think he looked big though that was the other thing like you know i was talking before in the the podcast before the fight maybe he should uh or he will, uh, maybe he would, I thought he would have adjusted his style to be the bigger man, but he wasn't the bigger man, so he's probably not, uh, he was probably right not to do that. But I thought what Frankie did well was, as Dominic Cruz mentioned on the commentary, he threw uh, combinations very well, and he knew Munoz was going to come in and land those one big shot. Now, I think we talked about it last week on the podcast, and I think Luke Thomas tweeted the exact same thing before the fight started, uh, which I kind of mentioned was the reason I picked Frank Edgar. I think Munoz is actually a very good matchup for Edgar in terms of that. You know, Edgar's a guy who throws big amount of shots. And if he can avoid them against someone like Munoz, if he can avoid enough of them and survive the big ones he does take, there's a good chance he's going to win the decision. And that's kind of exactly how it played out uh, in this scenario tonight. So good stuff from Frank Edgar. Like I thought, I still I think Munoz won the fight. And I thought it was a I thought it was a close fight, but um, you know, in the first round, Frankie landed those combos early. Leg kicks for Munoz. I thought Pedro landed a harder shot in the 10-9, but close again, as I said. Uh, Frankie got a couple of takes and started to add him in. Um, and Pedro... But Pedro did kind of win the early goings of that, I thought. But I gave that round to Frankie uh, relatively close. Munoz started taking over in the third. Uh, he landed jabs and loads of leg kicks. Frankie was limping around by the end of that third round or even in the middle of it. Um, in the fourth round, Frankie got a takedown, but Munoz got up immediately. Frankie landed some combos. Uh, but Pedro landed a better shot, so I thought, all around in, in the uh, fourth and in rewatching the fifth again. I definitely think Frankie won the fifth. Um, I think he landed one huge right hand right down through the middle, and I think he landed another couple as well towards the end. So I think it's funny because through the whole fight, I was scoring a, uh, Pedro was landing the more immediately impactful shots, and Frankie maybe landing the more shots. Whereas the fifth, I think, was the other way around. I think Pedro probably landed slightly more, but I think Frankie landed the more impactful shots, and I think he won the round, that uh, that round. So, you know, lots of close rounds in there, and uh, nothing really to, <laughs> to complain about uh, too much, I suppose. Where does Frankie go? Everyone's mentioning Dominic Cruz. Love that fight. I think that fight makes absolutely perfect sense. Make that happen. Uh, no more <laughs> no more to talk about it, I suppose. Um, then a few more fights on the card as well. We won't say too long on it because it's fucking quarter past four here at night. Uh, Mike Rodriguez looked very impressive. He uh, Light heavyweight. He looks a big athletic light heavyweight. 
Uh, he landed those Lebanese. It was called. It was another fight that was as well. Landed a beautiful elbow KO and KO'd him on the ground uh, with a couple of ground and pound shots. Very, very good. Uh, Joe Selecki went in there, took the back. Andrew McGann uh, bet, <laughs> got the got the rear neck of Joe. Did a great job of readjusting his feet. He had the body triangle, and in uh, he kind of went to the, the, the two hooks and he got that. Uh, I think the vine as uh, Dominic Cruz's kind of Dominic Cruz's commentary on that was fantastic. We leave the judging and <laughs> in the main event uh, aside, but his kind of commentary on that was absolutely fantastic. Um, then we hear Shannon Dobson got the biggest upset in UFC since uh, Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey in the fight under that, beating Maria Agapova. She was 9-1 to one in betting just before she won the fight. And I was like, uh, <laughs> let, let me bet in this. And Paddy Power wouldn't let me anyway. But, the fuckers. but uh, yeah, like Agapova came out and she was very wild and just throwing things all over the place and falling into stuff and all. And she almost got armbarred, armbarred, armbarred in the first round. Uh, by Dobson, but she managed to survive that. And in the second round, she got on top, and I was like, "Is she going to stay on top? Like, is she probably she's going to get fucking armbarred or land on the bottom?" And that's exactly what happened. She landed on the bottom, and she got TKO'd or punches. Um, then in the fight before that, we had uh, Rodriguez versus Grant, and this was, I think, it was uh, Chris Tyone, an absolutely fantastic refereeing job. I thought this was the one where uh, Rodriguez got dropped. But he kept fighting, you know, he kept, he was getting in on a couple of legs, and he was trying to pull himself up, and he was moving around, and he was fighting, he was fighting, he was fighting. And watching it live, I was like, great referee, and he didn't stop it there. And then Rodriguez dropped Grant after coming back. Grant got up again, and he dropped him a second time, and at that time, you could see him, he wasn't intelligently defending himself, he was clearly out there for a second. And that's the exact point, when someone is out, when someone gets knocked down, it's different, give him a chance to get up, but when someone gets knocked down, gets back up, and then gets knocked out, even if it's just for a second, that's when you stop the fight, and I think it was a great job, because it would have been... It would have been a easy, maybe, or a bit of a cop out, maybe, to say, "Look, I gave this guy a chance in the uh, in the starter round or in the round, you know, the starter round." No, you need to give the other chance, the guy a chance. No, you don't. You need to stop the fight when the fight needs to be stopped, and that's exactly what Tyone did uh, at the end, and it's exactly what he didn't do at the start, which was the right way to do it because it didn't need to be stopped. So I thought that was fantastic. On the fight earlier on the night, then the Trevin Jones, uh, Timur Valiev fight. I, Jones, he got fucked up with body shots early in round one, knocked Valiev down with a right hook uh, in round two and loans a ground and pound uh, after that. So I thought, I thought it was late in round one. I thought it maybe could have been a standing stoppage. I think if Mark Adard was in there, he probably would have stopped that for a standing stoppage. But it takes a brave and good ref to stop it there. Not the most egregious in the world. I think everyone probably would, would agree with that. And then in the second, <laughs> I think... Um, uh, well, when I say not the most egregious, but you know, he was uh, he was halved with five or six different body shots. So yeah, like I do think it was a little bit late in the first round, uh, in the first round, and in the second round, I thought it was early. Um, I thought he got uh, Timayev or Valayev even got knocked down, landed a few shots up through the middle. His head went back a bit, but I didn't think it was a maybe. Maybe I need to watch it again, but I didn't think it was a pure knockout you know i didn't think he was asleep or anything like that his head got knocked back and he took a few more shots i thought it was a little bit early uh but i think you know and i hate saying i think jones would have won anyway but uh it was uh yeah that, that wasn't the best but i think the one later on was a little bit better um amanda timas got a good uh, decision win over mizuki uh, Miz- mizuki in a way whose name i can't say uh jordan wright looked very good came out with a wheel kick 
at light heavyweight the Tanakos uh, Ike Ike Villanueva and I, I was actually he caught him with something I think it was knees oh that was the Chris Lieb and Anderson Silva fight again I caught him with the knees and the doctor stopped it and then uh, Matthew Schmellenberger beat Carlton Mayanus and that one was almost a um, a submission in the second round and he got a 110-8 in there as well I think so uh, yeah Good right there. Overall, the fights were pretty good. You know, no big names on the card or anything like that. And nothing too major on it. Um, I suppose Frankie Hager winning was the, the biggest one. I think Jordan Wright is a guy to look out for. I think he looks like a good prospect coming through there. And I think Mike Rodriguez, maybe that's a good fight to make. Rodriguez versus Wright, both light heavyweights. They look like they could be problems. And they look at athletic guys as well, which you don't see too often in the light heavyweight division. Right. So that's it. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Philip for joining me earlier on as well. And uh, now is going to be a very good time to sign up on Patreon because Monday I'll have the Q&A. I'm just about to record it after this at fucking half four in the morning. Uh, later on in the week, I have so much stuff. I have a look at the heavyweight division, the whole history of the heavyweight division. Myself and Andy did an Irish MMA podcast. I had the rewatch as well. What fucking fight is it? I don't know. It's... Oh, what fight is it? It's a really good fight. I think it's Robbie Lawler versus it's Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald. Phil actually mentioned earlier in the podcast. And me and Graham did a podcast as well, talking about John Jones, talking about lots of different things. So all of those podcasts are going to be out here in the next three or four days. So it's a great time to sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. And I'm off. Uh, one more podcast and I'm off for a few days uh, for the first time in... Uh, since before the Rona, so it's good to get a couple of, <laughs> couple of days off. Uh, thanks everyone for the continued support. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and uh, I will be back next week. I'm not missing any days, even though I'm missing any week. So uh, I'll see you all next Tuesday or Sunday or Monday or whatever.